everyone. My name is Ari and welcome to Made of Metal, a motivational podcast where we tell stories about regular people overcoming insurmountable odds. So hi again. Thanks for joining us for yet another hike into history with myself as your happy host. So glad you could be here. And I am so pumped and humbled because this is my 50th episode, you guys. It feels absolutely unreal. I mean, to think that I've been sharing with you guys and on this journey with you guys for 50 weeks, but here we are. And I say it all the time, but I am eternally grateful for each and every listener. You mean so much to me. And as a smaller podcaster who is sort of doing this completely for the benefit of others, like I don't have any sponsors, I don't have any advertisers. It's been so satisfying to hear your feedback and sort of hear how my stories have impacted you. I'm just really enjoying the journey and enjoying the ride. But this show has really helped me as well overcome my own personal anxieties and fears around sharing my voice and my story. So it's definitely a two-way street. And it also inspired me to think of other ways I can help people who are interested in healing from the trauma of abusive mothers, interested in building resilience, and then just taking a purposeful and holistic approach to cultivating, you know, your own quality of life. I am totally for that. More on that later. But for now, let's get on to learning about more awesome folks who've done incredible things. My favorite topic to talk about. So the individual we'll be discussing this week truly embodies so many of the characteristics that I admire within humanity. I mean, it can easily be said that this individual built their life around the betterment of others even after they had so little to give, a really interesting sort of trajectory in their lives. Without any prompting or incentive, this person had no qualms about sharing their time and hefty financial resources with those who needed it most. And this individual's progressive perspectives of the world, just combined with their overarching mission to help the less fortunate, became the reason why millions of people who are suffering their worst moments can count on someone being there to help them, no matter their class or creed. So with me, I've personally been doing a lot of research into humanitarian organizations because I'm interested in doing a bit of volunteering myself, somewhere outside, likely in a park. But I've come across this organization that we're going to learn about today plenty of times in my research. And I even featured an individual on a previous episode who helped found the American extension of this organization. Now, I've never actually known the origins behind the individuals who founded it. And once I learned, I gained even more respect for the invaluable work they do in our world today. So really excited to share this story with you. So let's get right into it. This week, we'll be discussing the helper, the hopeful, the humanitarian, Jean-Henri Dunant, who would eventually be known as simply Henry Dunant. Henry Dunant was born May 8, 1828, in Geneva, Switzerland, to his parents, Jean and Antoinette. 
Henry was the first son and would have four other siblings, two brothers and two sisters. Religion played a large part in Henry's upbringing as he was taught from a young age how important it was to honor his beliefs. Henry's family was aristocratic thanks to his wealthy parents, which allowed the family to enjoy a healthy amount of leverage within their hometown. Henry's parents were both compassionate philanthropists who were always actively helping others. Each parent devoted significant time towards volunteering for causes to help those less fortunate within their community. Both of his parents also worked hard to cultivate the spirit of giving to those in need within their children, further cementing the point with their religious teachings. Whenever I see it, I just have to comment, but I love to see good parenting and also to see the ripple effect of just how far that goes. Because without a doubt, Henry's parents set the foundation and the example for Henry to follow his entire life. It is so important to teach kids this super, super important stuff because it really makes all the difference later on. A lot of Henry's childhood was spent in school, as well as participating in religious and charitable events with his family. When Henry was 19, him and his friends would create an organization called Thursday Association. The purpose of this group was for the boys to come together for religious study and humanitarian work, as the group would meet regularly for charitable activities helping the less fortunate. All the while, Henry was attending higher education, but he was finding himself struggling to get ahead academically. As such, he decided to drop out of school for an apprenticeship with a local bank, who would eventually hire him after the completion of his program. Henry clearly had a knack for leadership and change, as just a few years later, at the age of 24, he would start the Geneva chapter of the YMCA. And then, in 1855, Henry would contribute to the creation of the International YMCA Network. So this guy was doing a lot, and I love to see it. He wasn't just rocking it on the charitable giving side. Henry was making his way into the business world as well. Around 1856, after a few years of navigating that business world, Henry decided to start his own international company and was able to obtain land to establish his business in Algeria. Unfortunately, due to the political atmosphere in Algeria at the time, it was quite difficult for Henry to begin construction without the proper documentation, which was not being granted to him. After many unsuccessful attempts to negotiate, Henry decided to appeal his business woes to the current French emperor himself. At the time, the emperor was stationed in Italy with his troops that were engaged in a battle against Austria. Henry had also taken it upon himself to write a book about the emperor and wanted to showcase his glowing words for brownie points. Clear to see why this man was so successful at business, he knew networking and flattering would take him very far. And no, shockingly, Frederick Douglass doesn't make a guest appearance in the story. I had to clarify that. <laughs> On June 24th, 1859, Henry officially arrived in Italy for his meeting with the emperor. 
What he wasn't aware of was that the ally and opposition forces were locked in a deadly battle close to where Henry had been traveling. Once Henry saw the devastation on the battlefield, wounded and dead soldiers strewn about, he was appalled. Henry sprang into action, reaching out to anyone in the surrounding area to assist in tending to the fallen soldiers. Unfortunately, the nearby town weren't able to provide the resources that Henry needed to care for the wounded. But instead of walking away, Henry himself organized the purchase and delivery of valuable supplies to help. Henry was also able to assist in the construction of small hospitals and medical areas to focus on helping those from the battle. Now, of course, there is resistance, as the soldiers on the field were composed of the allies and the opposition. Some people were eager to refuse help to the opposition forces, but Henry wouldn't allow it. Henry was able to lobby for unbiased help for everyone, even using a slogan, Tutti Fratelli, which translates to We Are All Brothers. Henry even went so far as to negotiate with his allies for the release of captive doctors to help with the efforts. After this harrowing experience, Henry returned home and decided to write about his travels, specifically to what he witnessed in Italy. It was in this book that Henry first introduced his idea of creating an impartial group that would help soldiers wounded in battle, regardless of their alliances. Henry's book made it into the hands of the president of the Geneva Society for Public Welfare, and it was made a discussion topic in the society's next meeting. Everyone had nothing but positive feedback for Henry's ideas, and they reached out to Henry himself to join a committee who would organize the planning and creation of this organization. On February 17, 1863, the committee would hold its first meeting, and this was considered the first official meeting of the International Committee of the Red Cross. Now, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows for Henry with the committee, as they regularly butt heads in the early stages. Henry insisted on establishing neutrality protections for any volunteers, which was heavily opposed by other committee members. After a year of discussions with various states around the treatment of wounded soldiers, in which Henry was a leader, the discussions concluded on August 22, 1864, and at a conference being held by the Swiss government, led to the signing of the first Geneva Convention by a total of 12 states. Unfortunately, although Henry was doing all this incredible humanitarian work, his own businesses were suffering terribly, which is understandable. I mean, considering that he was, you know, establishing the first Geneva Convention, I could imagine it was a little hard to get back to the old uh, work. (laughs) Henry had to declare bankruptcy with a huge ensuing domino effect that would impact his own family and friends that had invested in his company. Shamed and shunned by his friends and family, Henry would leave his home of Geneva for Paris. Henry's lifestyle had changed drastically from childhood, as he lived in poverty without attempting to replace his job or pay his debts. Although he was living in dire financial straits, 
Henry didn't allow this to deter him from his humanitarian work. While in Paris and during the Franco-Prussian War, Henry would create the Common Relief Society as well as the Common Alliance for Order and Civilization. Henry was even petitioning for a world library, similar to the Library of Alexandria, in order to document the knowledge of the world, as well as an impartial court to handle international crises. And as a reminder, he was doing all this work while suffering through crippling debt and financial strain. He was traveling from place to place, essentially a nomad. He was essentially run out of his hometown. He had no job, no source of income. He's not being provided any financial relief by his friends. He's just essentially been living by the seat of his pants ever since his bankruptcy. When Henry was in his 60s, he eventually ended up in a Swiss village and was able to establish a new life, living within an assisted living environment, similar to a nursing home. While there, he met a couple whom he shared his life stories with. And as anyone, the couple encouraged Henry to write about his life. The wife of the couple even founded a local chapter of the Red Cross within the village, as they admired Henry and his work greatly. A few years later, Henry would meet and speak with the newspaper editor about his experiences, which resulted in an article. With this article, Henry was again well-known and appreciated for his efforts, in spite of his solitary years in forced seclusion after his bankruptcy. Henry appreciated the renewed support and never stopped his own work in spite of his living circumstances and financial constraints. He was even in the process of supporting the women's rights movement by helping to establish a Green Cross, which was a specifically women's-focused organization. In 1901, Henry would be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, the first person to ever receive this award for his work in establishing the International Red Cross, as well as the Geneva Convention. Unbeknownst to Henry, his supporters had been campaigning for him to receive the award for more than three years prior. Although Henry had been shunned for many, many years, the Red Cross issued the following statement with his award. There is no man who more deserves this honor, for it was you, 40 years ago, who set on foot the International Organization for the Relief of the Wounded on the Battlefield. Without you, the Red Cross, the supreme humanitarian achievement of the 19th century, would probably have never been undertaken. The prize, of course, included an award of prize money, which Henry graciously accepted, but consequently never spent. Yes, you heard that correctly. He never spent his prize money, although he was basically destitute at the time. Instead, the money was gifted, according to his will, to various recipients. When Henry received the Nobel Peace Prize, he was 73 years old, and he continued to live out the rest of his retirement at his home in his tiny Swiss village. Henry Dunant, passed away on October 30th, 1910, 
in Haydn, Switzerland. Upon his death, Henry would divvy up his prize money for friends, family, and charitable organizations, and he would donate a specific amount to the assisted living home he had been staying in, dedicating that an empty bed always be available for someone less fortunate. Wow, all the way till the end. I mean, this guy literally gave his last for the benefit of others. It's sometimes so hard to believe that there are people who are this selfless within the world, especially after the world had essentially turned their back on him. You know what I mean? He wasn't getting any recognition for establishing the Red Cross. All of his friends and family were shunning him for a bad business decision. He was essentially having to live as a nomad, traveling from town to town. I mean, this story also intrigued me for the comparisons to the wealthy and the poverty lifestyles that Henry lived, because he had the rare perspective of seeing both sides. And it looked like he preferred not having money. I mean, just from listening to his life, observing how he essentially didn't really try to go back and get a job. He just sort of focused on his humanitarian efforts. It doesn't seem like having money was a big deal to him. But when he did have it, it seemed like he would often just use his funds to help others. I was also pretty amazed to learn that he wasn't just responsible for the International Red Cross, but also for the Geneva Convention, two very important functions that are integral to international politics today. I mean, I always admire people who literally make it their life mission to help others because that resonates with me so much. But the fact that he had such a huge financial and social setback and he just never relented on his humanitarian work is beyond admirable to me. Because no matter what was going on in his personal life, helping others was the priority. And I'm just so happy that he was eventually recognized for it with one of the highest honors to be awarded to an activist. So, And I wanted to end this with reading an excerpt from the book that he wrote after he witnessed the battle in Italy, which I feel like was essentially his great awakening in terms of international conflict and how he could make a difference in that stage. The moral sense of the importance of human life. The humane desire to lighten a little of the torments of all these poor wretches or restore their shattered courage. The furious and relentless activity which a man summons up at these moments. All of these combine to create a kind of energy which gives one a positive craving to relieve as many as one can. You can check out our website at madeofmetalpodcast.com and you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And that's Made of Metal. M-E-T-T-L-E. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so happy you're here at my 50th episode. I love each and every one of you. And please do not forget to bloom where you are planted. <laughs>